Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is pre-birth memories. My guest is Christian Sundberg, who, when he was a young child, remembered his existence before coming to Earth. While that memory completely left him, it spontaneously returned to him at the age of 30 through meditation practice. Christian is author of A Walk in the Physical, Understanding the Human Experience Within the Larger Spiritual Context. Christian is based in Western Pennsylvania, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Christian. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Most people don't recall any experiences before coming to Earth, or some people even, a lot of people wonder why they're here, yet you have had an experience of recalling your pre-birth memories. Yes. Yeah, so I can share about that if you like. Um, so let me just <clears throat> state before I do here, though, that this is not something that can be expressed with language. And um, see, our true natures are so fully transcendent to the form of Earth that as soon as we put words on it, we are immediately limiting it in a way that is often inappropriate. So I'm very happy to share what I can, but I just have to make that very important disclaimer that there are no words that can possibly articulate our higher natures or the nature of the higher realms. So I had no pre-birth memory for the majority of my adult life. I did have some of that recollection as a very small child up until about maybe the age of five or six or so. And then that memory left me completely. And then um, it didn't return until I was the age of 30. I took up a long-term meditation practice and the memory spontaneously returned after starting after several months of meditation unexpectedly. But it was the most normal thing in the world when it when it returned. It was like leaves had just been blown off of the ground and there was the grass. <laughs> you know, it was just like, oh, no big deal. You know, there there it is, very normal. But it has very much impacted my life and my path um, because I have, you know, I have some personal awareness about what I'm doing here. And I have a passion for trying to share, uh, you know, with, with others some aspect of what we really are, you know, because we are not just human. <laughs> I know it looks like we're human. We're doing a human thing. You know, I'm a working professional in my daily life. I, I know how this sounds, but actually deep down the nature of what we are transcends the human condition. It transcends the human experience. We are individuals. We're spirits who are having an experience of being human. And that's a really important message to keep in mind because, you know, we take our lives on earth so seriously you know we get so deeply wrapped up in all the concerns and all the stresses and all the fears and all the stories but who we are vastly transcends the stories we are beings of incredible freedom and love and power and joy and that is what we really are and we lose sight of that because you know we're veiled while we're human we're we, are, we become obscured to the true knowing of who we are on a conscious human level but that's a part of the game. <laughs> you know, we do that in order to have this experience. So that's just a little prep, uh, just a very high level comment. I, I just need to say that first, um, you know, before I dive in. So would you, would you want me to just dive in and 
kind of share some of the memories that I've had? Yeah, we would love to hear. The, the timing of this is difficult to articulate because we transcend linear time. And so while these memories are incredibly ancient and they also do have a sequence, they also are all happening right now. They're like living a live experience is not just memory like we experience it in the human way. Okay, so that being said, I remember long ago, before I was ever physical, actually, before I had any physical incarnations, coming across a being who had been physical. And when I came across this being, I could feel and know from him telepathically, because there it's all an exchange of information. There's no language necessary, no spoken language. I could feel the quality of his nature and his essence. It was so overwhelmingly beautiful and full of of power and love and and just capability uh, and expansiveness that it was just it was breathtaking. I could feel this this amazing joy and and power. And I said, "My goodness, do you feel the depth of joy and power and freedom that I feel that you feel?" And he shared yes, and he and he allowed me in to feel what he experiences. And I was completely awestruck. I was inspired. I was like, I'm going to do that. What, what did you do to do that? I, I want to do whatever, you know, what that is. And he said he had been physical. He shared with me. Well, he shared with me many things. But chief among them was that he had lived physical lives. And in one of them, he had suffered some kind of ailment, some kind of disease or something. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was very painful. And it lasted for a number of years. And the way that he chose to meet that very challenging experience allowed a refinement of the quality of his essence, his nature, who he was, refined. And and uh, in, I really don't know what words to use, but it, he just expanded and refined in a way that was very, very tangible uh, from that state of being. And I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I was so like deeply inspired. And at first he said something to the effect of, yeah, that's what they all say. Like it's difficult in a way that you don't know, like kind of not brushing me off, but kind of like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't know what this. And I, but I was persistent. And I said, no, I mean it. I want to do that. And he said, well, go talk to your guides. I don't have immediately right after that, but I know that I lived many experiences after that. And then I came back later and found this being again and shared with him that I was in the process and he was encouraging, uh, you know, when I, with what I shared with him. Okay. So the majority though, of my pre-birth memory experiences of a time somewhat immediately preceding this life. Uh, I remember taking a long break after previous experiences and just being reluctant for a while to return into the rigors of the game. <laughs> I was like, it was like kind of like taking a very long weekend and being reluctant to go back, something like that. And I remember this guide coming to me over and over again and saying, are you ready to go back yet? Are you ready to go back yet? And putting him off and just saying, no, I'm not ready yet. No, I'm not ready yet. And eventually saying, okay, okay, I'm ready. And then reviewing with this guide what I can only describe as my state, like who I am, who I have been, who I was, what what qualities I really knew and expressed and the words are so limiting here. Uh, I really don't want to pigeonhole it. It, it. It's very hard to describe, but it's kind of like just evaluating who I am and what I knew and what I understood and what I had what I had uh, experienced and mastered and what I had not. And it was very apparent to me the thing that I needed to work on. I don't like the words work on. It's not, it's not like that. But 
there was this very obvious thing. I had this fear that had bested me in a previous experience. It had overcome me. And in that previous experience, I, I was a very unhelpful, unkind person in that life because of this fear. I, I, my ego got out of control and caught, and I caused a lot of damage to other people. Uh, and when I say damage, by the way, I don't mean true damage because the soul cannot truly be damaged. Uh, you know, there's no true damage, but I knew that in that life I had been very unkind and unhelpful. <laughs> and I, and this fear was just so deep and I could feel it and see it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got, I got to, I got to do something about that. I, but, and I knew though, that if I could, there would be this incredible expansion of being, not just in me, not just of me, but of the whole. I don't know how to describe this, but this incredible expansion of what was possible, a, um, a, a refinement and an evolution of capability. If I could know and meet and integrate this low vibration fear, but I could see even from there how very extreme this fear was, like what a low vibration energy it was. And I asked, is it even possible in all of creation? Like, has anyone ever, has any being ever done this? Has any being ever integrated something this extreme in this way? And I was shown, yes, uh, yes. And you have all of time available to you to do so. That was what was expressed. So there's, there's no hurry. <laughs> and I just knew that if it was possible, I'll do it. Like I will, I, I will do it. And, and fr from the human perspective now, having experienced this life, it seems so strange to me at times to say that because I do experience great challenge at times, of course, of course, like we all do. But from that perspective, I knew the incredible power of the soul. And I knew that we have nothing to fear and that nothing can truly overcome us. And we are incredibly powerful and, and expansive and free and, and, and full of joy and love. And that cannot be overcome. And so, so I just knew like, well, if it can be done, I'll do it. So they brought me a life packet, like a package to review for this intention that would be optimal for me to re-experience this fear and to face and integrate it. And that life was extremely appropriate. It was a great match for my quality, like who I am, and also for the intention of processing this fear. And I reviewed this life in detail and I accepted it. And when I say this life, it's not this current life as Christian. This was just before this experience. I reviewed and accepted the life and then I accepted the veil. And this is the part of my memory I remember the most clearly is this, this process of accepting the veil and the vibrational place that we are at now in relation to that higher state through the veil. I, I don't know how to describe this, but it, it it's like a plummet in the vibration of the being such that all knowing is cut off. And I, I describe it like I, uh, like if you have an amplifier that produces a pitch, like, and then you turn the knob down. And then when you get to the bottom, you turn it down some more, lower, 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 more, lower, more, now lower, now crank it down, lower some more. That was what it felt like. It was just an incredible drop in the vibration of my being. And I felt all of what I am like disappear, be cut off, be um, kind of like being erased. Very hard to describe the sensation, but it was like going from a place of high vibration, connectedness and knowing to feeling separate and dark and dense and alone and not having access to my knowing anymore. And 
it was it was terribly dark and within seconds of getting there i was like i am not doing this there is no way i'm going to tolerate this for a lifetime this is not happening so i summoned my might my strength and i fought my way out past the veil and i was successful in doing that uh, but i became aware that i had killed the fetus that was to be my body i had caused a miscarriage for the mother and just like near death experience just described i had a life review even though I was only there for like, I don't know, super short time. I don't know how long, but a very short amount of time. I could see very clearly how my fear had negatively impacted the mother by, by heaping grief upon her shoulders. And not only the mother, but hundreds of other people like in ripples away from the mother. I could see and feel how they were all, all their journeys were made more difficult because of my fear. And I was like, and so, so from that perspective, you know, it's okay. Everything is okay. It's just, you know, it's just like a big play. Everything, everyone is okay. But I also very objectively could see, oh man, I, I got to work on this. Cause I, you know, I want I had all these big plans. I wanted to have such a positive impact. I wanted to grow and participate in this amazing human game and the opportunity to be given a human life was so precious, but I had wasted it. And so I, I kind of resolved, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. This is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try again. So they brought me now this life to review. Um, and this life was not as appropriate as the first one would have been. I mean, I want, I'm not gonna put numbers on it, but it just wasn't quite as appropriate as the first, like the match. It was okay. It was good enough, but it wasn't like super super appropriate because my spirit, my soul has certain qualities and the life has certain context qualities, the biology, the parents, the context, everything. It's all, there's a certain fit that, that there, you know, there is a certain level of, in, of, um, of a match or not. And in this case, it was, it was good, you know, it was okay. And I remember reviewing this life in incredible detail. I, it was as if somebody like, this is just a metaphor, but this is how it, kind of how it visually, I saw it visually and I felt it within me. It was like if you took a tree and laid it on its side and you started at the trunk and then worked your way out to the branches, I could see millions and millions of possibilities of how this life may unfold. What was very likely, what was less likely. It was like, um, like a probability tree, I guess you could say. And the only, and the thing that was unknown was the free will choice making, you know, of all the participants, but it, it's, but it's pretty darn good at predicting outcome. <laughs> so I could see that certain at, like certain branches were very likely. And I could see that it was very likely that I would suffer a trauma in my early twenties and that that trauma would crush me and give me the opportunity to re-experience this fear. And so I was very excited. <laughs> like, you know, from, from this perspective, it seems, I, I guess we might even consider like, it's, it's not masochistic. Okay. But I can see how some people might say, Oh my gosh, I would never, I would never sign up for that. But from that perspective, I was very excited at having the opportunity to, to be challenged in this way and to be able to have the opportunity to meet this fear. And, um, I made certain requests for the life. You know, for instance, I, I knew that it would be important that I would be male in this life just because the male energy would be helpful for me to have certain type of personality that would help me to deal with this fear. Um, and I also knew that the qualities of my parents were important. <clears throat> I knew my father would instill confidence in me 
and that it was really important that I had that confidence so that I would have a rock to stand on when the fear hit. I would, I would be strong enough in my own self to be able to weather it and have a chance to, you know, to really face and process it. And I asked certain things like, um, I asked to be intelligent again in this life. I knew that I had been intelligent in previous experiences and they said, yes, you can do that. And I asked to remember a very small amount this time. I said, I would like to not forget everything this time. Like, I'm just, I don't want to forget everything. I just want this tiny, tiny little sliver of memory, please. Can I do that? And they shared, yes, you can do that. But I could feel from them that, this is really hard to describe, but the contrast between there and here would be even greater. And so the life would be even more difficult if I did that. But see, I knew that even that contrast, like all contrast, was and is an opportunity for growth. So I accepted. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's do it. Okay, so I remember there having to be this moment to say yes, and I'd like to accept the, the package, so to speak. I don't remember that moment, but I do remember being in like this waiting area where there was this golden light, this beautiful light. And I remember this guide coming to me all of a sudden, like, go now, like grabbing my attention, like, like grabbing me by the shoulders very forcefully to like shake me and push me into, it was like I had to interject into earth time or something. And I had to go right now, like not later right now. And then I found myself in this, um, what I can only describe as like a, a tinkerer's shop or a technician's shop where there were these beings who, are very mechanical in nature. It's very hard to describe. And they do this thing where they fit the veil to you. So like the soul has certain qualities, rich, rich qualities, like its own universe of qualities and the human life and the biology and the context and all, everything has a certain quality to it. And they do this thing where they like, they make it all fit so that the veil will be very effective and be worn properly. And um, they asked me one last time, are you sure? You know, because, and I knew that once I said yes here, I was in, I was in for the ride. It was like, you know, once you get into this roller coaster, you're not getting off till it comes to a complete stop, that kind of thing. And I said, yes. And then I remember the veil coming over me and this time just struggling not to fight it. And one thing I hadn't mentioned is in between these two lives, I spent some time practicing surrendering my control to the, to the veil in like a simulating environment, like a simulator. And so I just resist, I just did not resist the veil. You know, I like, I surrendered and allowed this down, 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 lower, 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 more, lower, more, lower, more, <laughs> plummet in my vibration. And this knowing that I had be erased and be cut off. And once again, I was in the dark and alone and, and feeling super dense. It's like arriving to a place where there's just no heat. Like arriving to the vacuum of space is a good metaphor, I think. Like you just, you get there and you can't breathe. It's cold. There's nothing. It's empty and yet dense, so dense. And I remember sending one message back to the technicians. Did it take, you know, did, did the veil take? Like, did I succeed in arriving? And they sent one message back. Yes. And I felt actually the sense of accomplishment because it was like, oh, I, I made it. Like even just making it into a human life was a huge um, accomplishment. And then I was there for a while and eventually that same fear that I had the, the, the previous time arose once again. And I was like, I am not going to do this. This is so dark. This is so low vibration. This is so dense. 
I am not doing, there's no way I'm going to tolerate this. I'm not having it. So once again, I began to summon my might and my strength to fight my way out. And when I did this most holy moment of my entire human journey happen, I felt the presence of what we can only describe as God. I mean, it's certainly beyond any word, like a human word like God, but it was the, the great I am of all that is. <laughs> God is the closest word I know that came to me and it expanded me back out. And I felt all of the universe within me and I felt all the stars and all the galaxies and I felt the churning bliss of our sun. And, the, and, and this great presence said to me, this is still what you are. You can never not be this. And it was incredibly comforting. I was like, oh my gosh, it's not what I'm, I'm so glad. I didn't, I did not, I didn't lose everything. Like I thought I had lost all that I am. That's how it felt to be veiled. But that message was so comforting. I'm like, oh, then I don't need to fight, you know, and I let go and, and settled into the simple existence of being in the womb. And the next memory I have is of the day I was born. I remember the shock of being born, this the sensory experience, all this cold and shock and light and touching and sound. And I remember I had no idea what was going on, like none. <laughs> so bewildered and curious. I remember looking up at the nurses and just being like, who are these beings who are taking care of me? And being so curious. And it's funny because when I shared this with my my father, you know, he said to me, you were looking around with the most curious, intense stare I've ever seen. <laughs> I so rem I remember that intense curiosity. So yeah, so that's just a, that's a quick summary of the experience. I know that um, you know that sounds like a lot. I feel like it's just the very tip of the iceberg. I'm still very much failed, and I'm thankful that I am. Um, and I certainly can't speak for anybody else, but I can at least say, you know that. Anyone who's listening today, we, we are not, we're not human. You know, we are that spirit of life and love that is so much bigger than this human experience. And we get so lost in this story. <laughs> you know, we go down our life journeys and we just get totally wrapped up in all the stories and stresses and fears. And I, I know I'm not making light of it, but uh, that is not what we really are. And whoever you are listening today, I just want to remind you, you are a being of, of love and joy and freedom. That's who you are. And you're very brave to come here into this amazing, awesome, you know, simulation to have this experience of being physical and light. You don't need to take life so seriously. <laughs> you know, this can be an experience of joy and playfulness and we can do whatever we want with it. You know, so anyway, I just, I, I just have to share that. And I'm not saying it's easy for me either. I deal with many challenges like many of us do, um, but there is um, there is great hope in the actual truth, you know, because this thing is not like, this is not just like a religious, like, you know, belief for me. This is, this is, it's what we are. And deep down, we all know it somewhere underneath all the layering, underneath all the veiling. We know we are more than human. We are something that we feel maybe when we're looking at nature or when we express ourselves creatively or when someone really tells us they love us, you know, we, we have glimmers of it. That substance of joy and love and freedom is what we are. What an incredible experience. And in those moments of interacting with other 
spirit beings. Could you describe them a little bit more for us? How many did you encounter? You mentioned that some of them had specific roles. We'd love to hear a little bit more description if you're willing to share. Sure. So the question is already laden with uh, earth assumption because we tend to think about reality as being primarily comprised of discrete objects and places that we can see <laughs> and touch. And while we do experience realities in other, rea I mean, environments in other reality systems beyond earth, that's that we definitely most certainly do. In fact, they're even more real there than they are here. <laughs> that is not the true real nature of what we are. You know, consciousness transcends form and gives rise to form. So I can share a few forms, you know, because that's what we know, but that's not really what's fundamentally important. Beingness itself is alive and that living beingness can share itself and interact in ways that are even far beyond human comprehension. I'll say that in my pre-birth experience interacting with the guide, there were times when I experienced this guide non-visually, but I knew he was present and communicating with me telepathically. There were moments I experienced a visual interaction where I was in a realm of gold and it was, this is very hard to describe, but he was perceived as a being of light. That's the closest metaphor we have is light. And, but it's not about like, you know, shape or anything like that. It's about what's actually happening. I, I know that may not sound connected, but like really what we're all experiencing is what we're like, how it actually feels to experience this moment. That's really what's happening is our actual experience. And so in those systems, our actual experience is what is being directly engaged. And that's, that's more true than an earth environment where there's like a number of objects. As for numbers, um, like, like the time that I saw the golden being long ago, we were with a large group of probably at least hundreds of other beings that were moving across this landscape. I can only describe it like a landscape of light. And he and I and all these beings were doing one shared activity, though he was far more evolved than I <laughs> in this way that I described. We were all still participating in the same activity. I don't, I don't know what that activity was, but I could perceive, you know, the other individuals there in that environment. So, I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's all I'll say. I know that's not super specific, but like, I don't try to get too much into the specificity. I mean, I've had out-of-body experiences where I've perceived others. Um, you know, once again, there, it's not really about like a visual perception. Like one time I had an out-of-body experience where I engaged the, 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 I know this sounds crazy too, but I engaged the soul of my wife's ex-boyfriend and I, sh I was a, I shared with him and I was able to feel deeply into him who he is, who he was. And I perceived it as a vibration that was like a universe of color and sound and feeling. And I was a part of him and he's a part of me, even though he's his own being too. And I could feel how we overlapped. So like, how do you describe that? You know, like, what does that look like? Well, look like I could, I mean, the closest thing I could say is if you imagine a galaxy of thousands of colors you know, maybe something like that, but it wasn't primarily about a visual experience. So it depends on the experience and it depends on how relevant, you know, that kind of data is. Yeah. And I, I'm not necessarily looking just for visual. I was just curious your general okay. experience. Okay. But I think a lot of people are curious because they don't remember like you do. Yeah. So, well, one thing I'll say is that the afterlife is certainly not just one place. I mean, goodness gracious, no, it's incredibly vast. I mean, if you think about how many places are there on earth 
you know, and Earth is just the tiniest, 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 tiniest fragment of our universe. And our universe is just the tiniest fragment of a much bigger multidimensional <laughs> picture. And other realities have incredibly less limiting rules than ours. So, boy, I mean, the, the, the variety of experiences that are possible, um, you know, it's beyond, it's beyond comprehension. It's beyond what we can even possibly name. I, I, I don't try to map anything like that. I mean, sometimes I have out of body experiences or, you know, other type of experiences. I'm just, I just kind of leave myself open. And I know the thinking mind likes to, oh, let's put labels on it. And there are others that are far more experienced in those type of uh, adventures than I am. Um, but I, I try, I don't try to put a model on like specifically other kind of realities from here. I don't really feel like from the human vantage point that we're very good at doing that. <laughs> I can at least say there's a vibrational geography. So what you are vibrating at where who, and that means the state of being that you're in is, is locational. That's, that's, I think that's the simplest way. And most realities are thought responsive reality systems in which our intention, our thoughts, our beliefs, our expectations have an immediate effect on the environment. It's true on Earth, too. It's just much, much slower. Mm -hmm. Earth is just super, super dense. Do you recall connecting with, for example, a soul group, or are there groups of, of souls who tend to incarnate together? Yeah, I, d I don't have memory of interacting specifically in that tangible way with my soul group, but I do... I am aware that I'm a part of a group and I've had at least some interaction while physical uh, briefly, but most of it is internal telepathic, not like a full out of body experience. Could you share a little bit more about the veil and why we experience it and why many people frequently don't recall their pre-birth memories? Yeah, sure. So the veil is very purposeful. <laughs> You know, we wouldn't be able to have the experience of being this deep into the experience of separation into being a separate being if you weren't veiled. Like, if you want to be the human, you got to be the human, man. <laughs> you know, you got to be veiled to all of what the totality of what you are and just focus on the human experience. And so the veil is very effective at that. So we wake up every day. We typically don't remember much about, you know, maybe we have some dreams or something, but we don't, usually don't remember any non-physical experiences we've had while we're asleep. We just go right into our day. We eat our breakfast. We go to work, you know, whatever. That the fidelity of that super consistent experience is enabled by the fact that we are veiled. Veiling is just a, it's like a, a it's like wearing a cloak of limitation on your consciousness. So your consciousness pre-exists, and I know it feels like the consciousness is like shoved in, inside of some kind of real body or something. Uh, no, actually, the body is more like a, uh, a context and more like a constraint set that consciousness wears. But consciousness is still first. So there are states of being in which you can become aware that the body actually is occurring within you. <laughs> like you can actually feel it very tangibly. It, rather than it, rather than it feeling like, you know, most people I think experience like as if you're inside the body looking out of your eyeballs, you know, um, that's just the surface layer. The veiling enables that surface layer and the more we focus on that layer. So the more we focus on the sensory experience and our thoughts about the sensory experience, all of our thoughts and labels that we put on it. So sight, sound, touch, hearing, taste, all that good stuff. And then we interpret and we buy into stories and then we, then we set this thought momentum into motion 
and we start thinking the same thoughts and we wear these pathways into our conscious experience and actually into our neurology as well for these thoughts that we continually think. And then we just keep experiencing them. And the more we focus on that, the deeper the veiling is experienced. Um, and, but kids, on the other hand, you know, they've come in and they're not super deeply associated with the story yet. So they're, it's much easier for them to step back and, you know, come and go to the non-physical or to feel closer vibrationally, you know, to who they really are. So why is all that necessary? Because, oh my goodness, this is a, this is a really important, broad and complex topic, but I'll just say very generally speaking at a high level, the contrast of this level of separation enables an incredible opportunity for expansion through the integration of experience. So we are able to come very deeply into actually experiencing being separate here. And that, that uh, experience of separation is actually quite alien. <laughs> it's not native to who we really are. But if we can come all the way here, it allows perspectives that are not otherwise possible and then the integration of experience from and through those perspectives and being human is incredibly unique and incredibly valuable it offers such very very unique extreme well-defined cognitive experiences and physical experiences that are not otherwise possible and that is very valuable to the soul you, you might say that we as souls are experience integrators, you know, and this is one heck of an opportunity to have experience and, and to learn and grow through it. And, and by the way, when I say learn, I don't mean intellectual learning. I mean a growth of the being by being something, by integrating the experience of being something. And that growth of the being, we can say, is the expansion of love and joy. It is the processing. So when we integrate experience, that means processing fear as well. And as we process fear, and as we really come to terms with these experiences and really know them and know exactly what it's like to, you know, to be you <laughs> in this place, we participate in the expansion of creation and the expansion of love and joy because love and joy is our true nature. You, know, you, could, you could say that that's like the substance of what we are. And so when that substance is able to be exposed to or committed into great contrast, there is this refinement and growth and expansion of that love and joy through that experience. And so the veiling is as uh, additive in that it allows that experience. There may be those listening who wish that they could recall as much as you are. And it sounds like you were able to have these memories come back spontaneously through meditation. What kinds of meditation did you engage in that helped you with your memories? Right. So the, the human likes to think, what action can I get? What result out of, <laughs> you know, that's how we, that's how we do things on earth. So I'm saying that in context, of your question, because I don't particularly feel that the, the name of the meditation or the process of the meditation is the active ingredient though there are some meditation forms that will work better for some rather than others. For me, I, I followed a meditation offered by Tom Campbell, the physicist and consciousness explorer in his book. I think it's chapter 23. There's an aside in there. It's basically transcendental meditation. Uh, but like I said, I don't think the name is very important. It, what is important is using your intent, taking time. We're in linear time right now. <laughs> taking time 
to use your intent to choose what to focus on, to start with something neutral in your mind and control, well, control is probably a bad word, choose to use your intent to focus on just something that you choose and stand still in the water. You know, like the, the river of thoughts that hit us all the time. It's like a river. It just keeps hitting us in the face. Meditation is taking time to stand still in the water. And you don't judge yourself whether you're doing it or not. You know, you just use this time to focus on something neutral. And eventually, when you're able to control your focus so that you can focus on what you choose and not be lost in the dreams of thoughts, you bring your attention fully into just the present moment for all that it is and into the aliveness of your own consciousness, the aliveness of your own body. Experience it deeply in this present moment for exactly what it is. You don't put any stories on it. You don't need any labels. You don't need any judgments. You just dwell fully in the knowing and feeling of that aliveness. Now, that may seem to the human personality who's used to doing things as, you know, unproductive maybe, or, you know, like, what is that accomplishing? Well, you don't go into it to accomplish something. You don't, you don't, you don't go into it with expectation. But what happens though is that as you become in touch with, consciously in touch with that aliveness that you are, deeper parts of yourself will bubble up, rise up all on their own. Not because you're going and trying to accomplish something, but because you are almost inadvertently releasing your grasp, your death grip on the forms. You're releasing your death grip on thoughts and on stories and on sensations and all these things that keep us so deeply veiled. And as you do that, you will find that, yes, we're veiled, but we are never not on the other side of the veil too. We're there right now. Like the, the consciousness that you are extends past this human experience right now. It's already there. And so sometimes then through meditation, knowing of that personal experiential knowing of that can rise up on its own. I understand what you're saying about meditation. While you're unique in having these pre-birth memories, there are various types of meditations which can help a person do exactly as you described, to be able to experience themselves, to not have the thoughts whirling around and to be more in the present moment. And as you say, to also then be able to be a more loving, compassionate person. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Love and compassion is like of the substance of what we are. It's what we are. So like, but, but the thing is we all have fear. <laughs> so fear means ego rises up to desperately try to save us and protect us. And oh, no, no, no. I'm, for instance, I'm, I'm afraid I don't have power. I have no power. Look at this world. I have no money. I have no, I can't control anything. Ego rises and says, oh, no, you, you have power because look, you have, you have money or look, you, you, you're, you're physically strong or look, you have value because you belong to this organization or you have this certain belief, Wh whatever it is. And I bring that up in the context of your question because, you know, when we look inward, at first it may not be obvious, but most of us have very many layers of ego going on. That's okay. <laughs> it just means there's fear. And as we really come to terms with what our thoughts are, how we're using our thoughts and the quality of the intention behind those thoughts, that that's always the key is the quality of our intention is, is our intention in this moment based in love or fear and ego. And in so many cases, we, we have to be humble enough to find, oh my goodness, I have so much fear. 
<laughs> I have so many layers of ego rising up. Anyway, so I think I went down a, a bit of a tangent, but I just thought that was meaningful in the context of your question because that, that's one of the reasons it's so valuable is when we release the, the ego stories, we can face and process the fear and we find that love is always what we are and what we have been, always. Since what we are is love and joy, is there a purpose for us to experience fear? The way I use the word fear is not just another emotion. Fear just means yet unevolvedness. It just means there's some extremity of contrast that we have not yet come to terms with and we've rejected in some way. Something's too big for us to handle. <laughs> and the human experience is full of opportunity for that. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I experienced fear as soon as I became veiled. That And that fear just means I really have not fully come to terms with this depth of limitation. And being human is an extreme amount of limitation, an extreme amount. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. It's like going and climbing Mount Everest and then saying, it's cold. Uh, yeah, it's cold. Mount Everest is cold. Yes, there's low oxygen on Mount Everest. It's hard to breathe up here. It's okay that it's cold. The question is, what do you do now that you're here? <laughs> like, how do you respond to Mount Everest? How do you respond to the cold, <laughs> to the low oxygen? What do you do with it? See, it's not about the context. The context itself is in, in I mean, it's a real experience. Okay. The human experience is a real experience, but it's also an illusion. The context is an illusion. Like the forms are not fundamentally real. They're being used and created and uh, they're like tools. Like the whole system, the whole system of form, the whole simulation is like a tool that has been created to facilitate the expansion of consciousness, the expansion of beingness through the integration of experience. Um, so, the, so the question is not what exactly is happening in your context. The question is how are you responding? You know, what are you responding? How, what is the quality with which you are responding to this moment, to this thought, to this story, to the circumstance that just arose today? <laughs> you know, what is the quality of the intention with which you meet it? Are you looking right at it and really trying to process it? Are you owning? Are you trying to be open and bring love and compassion? Are you resisting with you know, fear and new ego stories to try to cover up what's really going on? It, you know, you have free choice to do either one. When you say form, you mean what we perceive as the physical world. Well, form could be any form, whether it be a physical form or certain you know, non-physical forms. A form is something that has distinction and is this and not that. If it's a tomato and not a piece of corn, it's a form. Okay. You know, we, we think reality is form. Mm -hmm. And we think there's this shared objective reality out there. And that's, that's the ultimate reality. This matter. No. <laughs> no. Consciousness is knowing this apparently shared reality of objective matter. It's like a simulation, a very, very good simulation. What we really are transcends form. Now, we often mistake, when someone says that, I think some, some people often mistake that to mean, oh, it, there's nothing really real there then. No, no, no. The realness of the life that we are is so rich and so full of everything of life and and joy and possibilities uh, it's 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 wonderful so when i say that we transcend form that doesn't mean you know nothing is nothing is real or nothing matters no we create and 
use form and express form because of the creative and loving and, and joyful nature of life. <laughs> you know, so like, like when you look at a sunset, is reality ultimately that yellow and orange? Not at the fundamental level, but through the yellow and orange, you may, at least in a small part, feel and know, oh, reality is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Um, and this is an expression of that native beauty. There may be those who are listening and thinking, well, Christian, you're very fortunate. You've had this pre-birth memory and you're very enriched from it, but they're listening and thinking, well, how am I to, you know, really go forward when things are so hard for me? What, what can you say to those folks? Okay. So first of all, I am definitely not special in any way that, that, absolutely has to be said first i i feel like it's natural for people to say oh this person is special now no <laughs> no i'm just another traveler in the weeds like everybody else getting stuck in the in the woods we are all dealing with the limitations and the constraints and the, and the pains of the human condition um, i'm certainly not immune to that either and also, like I said, it's actually very painful having some memory because the contrast between there and here is great. And I'm very, I'm very thankful that I am not like, I'm very thankful that I am still veiled and that I do not have more awareness. <laughs> I know that sounds backwards, but I feel like it's helpful for me to, you know, be able to have the capacity to really do my best to meet this experience. Okay. So, but meanwhile, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, having some great blessing to have this knowledge on a conscious level. Like to me, there's not a big distinction between those of us who have some awareness of that and those who don't, because we all are that. Like we all are the being that transcends the physical. And I don't like everybody around everybody here is, has bravely agreed to participate in an experience of great limitation and veiling. And that was an incredible service. And we're all performing that amazing service. So, so there's not really a distinction. Okay. So at, to your, I think the latter part of your question was, so how to help those people? Is, is that what you asked? Like, how, how can they be helped? So um, I, I recommend, okay. So in my book, A Walk in the Physical, I do try to the book is about trying to point the reader towards the portion of themselves that already exists beyond the physical right now. And, uh, and by the way, the book is available for free online. It's not about money. If you go to my website, awalkinthephysical.com, the book page, the third link down, the whole book is available there for anybody to read. I want to encourage anyone and everyone that, you know, that wishes to consider the possibilities that you really are more than human. And as you consider those possibilities and as you spend time exploring, so meditation is a great exercise, a great um, long-term habit to get into. As you really commit time and energy into that, you find out for yourself. And as you find out the truth of your own being for yourself, there is always incredible relief and joy in that because joy, like I keep feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but joy and freedom is our true nature. So, you know, so finding that again is everyone's birthright. And for everyone, that process will be unique. That's why I'm not um, being too specific about my comment, because we are all very, very unique beings. We're each like a universe unto ourselves. We all have a unique relationship with the divine, or whatever word we want to use, the higher context of spirit. We all have 
a unique path to walk. Um, so each individual will sense for themselves what is the best way to, you know, to uh, nurture that and to go in that direction. Uh, in general, I recommend meditation. I also recommend that, you know, we spend time in mindfulness, being aware of exactly what's happening, try to become aware of in our waking, you know, daily activities, what meaning we're putting upon our situation. Um, spirituality is not about searching for some far off land, you know, some other reality that's not this. No spiritual spirit is here. This is deeply spiritual, this moment. So meeting this moment with fullness of presence and with fullness of awareness has so much potential. And so I, in general, encourage that because if we do that deeply enough, we find that there is always peace and joy. And it's our own stories and our own resistance to the context that makes it so painful. You know, like usually when someone is saying, oh, that's not fair. You know, I wish I remembered. I, I don't begrudge anyone who says that I know how difficult this is. But, you know, ego, ego protests. That's what ego does. We protest because we have fear, because we have not come to terms with the grotesqueries and the limitations of this experience. We need to, um, well, not need to. It is helpful if we can meet even those great difficulties with love and not resist, not place our own judgment on the world. Try to really meet and heal the portion of our own lives that is not peace. You know, if you, if you meet even one thought with more openness and personal responsibility and love and, and feeling like being willing to feel the feelings that are underneath it, you know, that quality of intention and even one thought, it helps the whole world. And it, and it certainly helps you as an individual, you know, to move towards that freedom that is who you really are. It's not a picture of hopelessness. We all have incredible power every day and every moment in how we meet this reality. So that's kind of some high-level comments. Um, you know, it's, it's different for each individual, but just some high-level thoughts. When we feel love and give love, it seems that we can also receive more love. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because so often... Because of ego, we close ourselves off to everything because we don't want pain. We don't want the negative. We don't want the limitation that's been so hard for us to process. So we, we won't even let ourselves feel love fully, right? But love is open. It's so open. It's so fully accepting. It's fully feeling. It's spacious. So when we allow ourselves to actually be vulnerable enough <laughs> to feel love, and love the person next to us, love whatever, to feel what we're feeling in this moment and love reality by looking at the sunset. That vulnerability is, I, I think of the word I use in the book actually, is a wide road to love. <laughs> because it's like, in that vulnerability, that openness, you're dropping the ego stories, you're dropping the fear, you're allowing yourself to move vibrationally, instantaneously closer to who you really are, you know that rich aliveness of love. So, so when we practice giving love and when we allow ourselves to feel love, yes, we will feel more love. It's, it's, a, it's a wellspring. There's so much love at the root of all things, even though we're many, many layers <laughs> deep into separation and deep into the stories that seem so real, even though we've come all the way out here, we cannot change the truth of the very root of being, which is love without fear. That is the very root at all, at all times and in all circumstances. It's, it's beautiful. 
And love can continue to expand? Yes, always. Yes. Spirit consciousness is always in the process of expanding and evolving more, you know, ever ever growing, ever uh, like an endless symphony of love. (laughs) I don't know what words to use. It It never ceases to grow in joyful freedom and expression and love and creativity. Now, I know you're not into too many definitions and putting too much form to things, but for our listeners, I'm just curious, how would you describe what love is? Our true nature is one. We are all connected to one another. We are all drops in the one ocean, metaphorically. Love is the natural knowing and recognition of that truth. That you are a part of me and I'm a part of you. And the whole world is a part of me and I'm a part of the whole world. And love is the way that we express that. It means putting the other ahead of yourself in many instances, most instances. (laughs) It means the expression of joy in the other. It means the celebration of what is and the celebration of the others. It means all the, you know, all, I I, I can't possibly put it, uh, an exhaustive definition on love. Love is the just like the word life or spirit. You cannot possibly define it. But I think it's it's worthwhile though to note that the reason it is what it what it is is because unity is our true nature, and love is reflective of the truth of unity. Whereas fear is reflective of the illusion of separation. You know, when we feel separated, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, now there's a big problem. I don't feel connected to the whole anymore. I don't have my power. I don't even know I'm going to live past death. I, I don't even know how I'm going to pay my bills tomorrow. What the heck's going on? You know, that that state of fear, that's not native to us because we're not, our, our true nature cannot be harmed. Our, <laughs> our true nature cannot not have what it needs. You know, our true nature is always connected and free and, and full of love and joy. It's only when we bind to perceptions that are not in alignment with that truth that we experience fear and that we suffer. This is the place to try to do that. This is the place where, wow, wait, I'm actually going to get to be separate and buy into perceptions of of powerlessness. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is the place we get to do that, you know, and then see what we see, what we do with it. Yeah. But the truth is that unity of being and love is an expression of that unity of being. For those who are listening, who may be feeling kind of down on themselves, or maybe they are feeling some guilt or shame for something that they may have done and are having a hard time loving or even liking themselves, and therefore it makes it difficult for them to like and love others, what might you suggest? Oh, my goodness. Okay, I know this sounds generic, and I don't know exactly who you are listening, but whoever you are, you really are unbelievably precious and important. And if you knew the value of who you are, the profound preciousness of you, like like if you feel deep down in you, like underneath all the crap and all the trauma. (laughs) Can you feel the preciousness that you are? That is priceless. And I don't know what word to describe to all that is. And you are a precious, irreplaceable portion of all that is. You are just so incredibly meaningful. And I, I'm saying that in the context of your question, because then what we do, okay, so that's who we are. That sounds nice. I don't, I don't feel that right now. That's because when we're here, we buy into stories of 
uh, some identity that is not in alignment with the truth of who we are. You know, usually when we're kids, our parents condition us in some way or society conditions us in some way. You know, you're only valuable if you, you know, go do this thing or accomplish this thing or believe this thing. You know, that's that that's where your value is derived. And with enough rehearsal and, you know, the, playing this over and over again, then we buy into that identity, you know. But that's not our true identity. Okay. It's a temporary, a temporary experience of a character that we, that we are engrossed in. Um, so keep that in mind, please. If you feel lack of worthiness, if you feel, you know, low and unimportant, that is not the truth. That is somehow there's some story, maybe, maybe many, many years in your past in, on, in this human lifetime, you know, that has been, that has been, uh, you know, conditioned into you, or maybe even there is a fear that you've come to experience in this life. Maybe there's a, maybe, uh, you know, I can't, certainly can't speak for everybody. We come for many different reasons, but perhaps, uh, some individuals are here experiencing what it's like to have a perception of being worthless <laughs> because in actually knowing that and coming to terms with it, we then forever know what it's like to have that like infinite value <laughs> like like but in knowing worthlessness we can know true value so so basically try to sense how you are the experiencer of the story and of these conditions that you've bought into rather than just the story and just the conditions and just the smallness that the world seems to prove to you every day you know that's not truly who you are it makes me think about maybe we can all recall ourselves as young babies deserving of exactly. love and care. Exactly. You mentioned that health is our natural way of being. And for those who might be experiencing mental or physical health conditions, you say that we return to health after this lifetime. Right. Well, we return to health whether in this lifetime or, you know, or after this lifetime. Whole wholeness of being is what we really are. So we will return there and the physical expression of us, the physical body with which we are so deeply associated right now is also always trying to work back towards that, <laughs> you know, con it's constantly churning with the power of life, trying to, you know, get back to homeostasis. <laughs> but regardless of whether, you know, whatever state the body is in here in the physical, the nature of beingness, the nature of life with a capital L is full of vibrance and health. And so one way or the other, we will return there. Um, and I'll just also make one other brief comment. And I don't, I don't have a lot of specific memory to this, but I do know that after, because when I mentioned, when I met this being who had been so deeply damaged b by this pain that he had experienced for years, I asked him, were you healed? <laughs> you know, because I could feel how he was damaged. Like as a human, he was damaged, man. You know, like he, he really, I mean, his true nature wasn't, but he, really was a damaged person. And I think so many of us can relate to that. But when we return to the other side, all of that is healed. And it becomes like, okay, imagine if you dig a pit in the ground, a hole, and that's the damage that you're enduring. Now that there's a hole in the ground, now after the life is over, that hole can be filled. Like now you've made a space into which the love and the light and the healing and the fullness of being can fill and rejuvenate. And that's beautiful. <laughs> and then you, and then you keep that. I'm not saying that damage is good. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that as we encounter the extremities of this world of contrast, 
including health challenges, you know, or psychological, you know, damage, whatever, whatever the forms of limitation that have seemed to overcome us or, or, or wound us in some way that can be and will be fully healed. And then subsequent to that, we then know that like that's available to us. Like, oh, I know I, I now have experiential knowing of this depth of limitation. It's been healed. And now I know this, I know what this means. And that was something that I experienced from this being who I came across. He had been healed and it was an incredible depth of healing. And I, I'll just say also that in my own journey, I have dealt with many health challenges. It's a part of what I'm here to experience. And also I dealt with post-traumatic stress in my twenties after this uh, fear invoking experience. So I've dealt both with physical and psychological, you know, challenges to a great depth. I'm not making light of it. I am not making light of the horrors, the absolute horrors that can potentially occur in the human experience. I am not making light of it, but I can say that life is deeper. Like your consciousness is deeper than the deepest crap, <laughs> you know, that seems to be plaguing you. You are actually deeper than that. It's just now, what do you do with it? Now that you seem to be overcome by this physical limitation or psychological limitation. Now, now what do you do with it? Because there's so much actual opportunity in that. So basically see the limitation as an opportunity. It'd be kind of like if let's say you're laying on a weight bench and you're lifting a hundred pounds over you and you're like, man, this is heavy. Well, now you got a choice. What are you going to do? You got you might as well lift the weight and use it for its intended purpose. And what I, all I mean by that is the limitations of your life, the challenges of your life are actually opportunities <laughs> to see how you will respond to them and choosing to respond to them in whatever way is aligned with love. And that will mean different things for different people, like I said. But whatever that loving way is rather than fearful way, if you do that, you are using that limitation in the way that it was meant to be used. You're, you're, you're lifting the weight, so to speak. You're, it's like uh, maybe love muscle <laughs> or something. You're strengthening your love muscle by meeting this experience with love rather than fear in, in any moment. doesn't matter what it is. Our limitations can help strengthen us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We sign up for, some of us sign up for very extreme limitations because we see the extreme potential in them. What is your relationship to the worldly religions and what some people refer to as God? Well, I personally still enjoy practicing world religion in a certain way. You know, I certainly don't feel it's necessary for me, but I still attend uh, church with my family and an open-minded congregation. <laughs> Um, some, and historically I've spoken at a unity church, um, somewhat routinely. So I participate there, but basically, we, so we're beings of form right now. Okay. We like form. We need form. Form helps us. Like there is value in form. So whatever form is appealing to you to act, to pursue the divine and to, and to seek an actual growth of your being in love and to be guided then that can be useful to, to you. It's not the form itself that has the active ingredient. It's how we use it. You know, take Christianity, for example. Some people use the Christian tradition in the most beautiful, wonderful, beautiful way. Just so beautiful. <laughs> Just wonderful lives that are rich with service and compassion and, and personal growth. Others may not. Others may use it as a, you know, as a weapon or as an ego tool and, and that's it. That's the nature of form, not just religious form. 
you know, all form, we get to choose what we do with it. You know, how are you going to use any given form, whether it be a hammer or a religion in love or fear? And so each individual being unique, there are times when forms very much will help us. Traditions very much will help us. I really enjoy the tradition of non-duality personally. It's probably the least defined, <laughs> you know, uh, tradition in that sense, but I love non-duality because it aligns so much with the peace of being that I, that I seek and that I know. Um, but I'm happy to participate in other forms of, uh, of expression that also point to the divine in their own way. You know, really all religions ultimately at the root, you know, when they're being used in alignment with love, they all point back to the, uh, you know, the truth of being, whether it be, you know, the world is an illusion message of Buddhism or, you know, the message of service that Jesus teaches, you know, it, it's, it's all potentially beautiful and, and usable for, for personal growth. Is there a God? Once again, the, the words are very tricky, but in to be the most succinct possible, yes. But it, that word is very, very weighted for many people. I personally love the word God. I've met a lot of people who really don't like the word God, <laughs> you know, because of the context that's been used. But if you're speaking about the living, conscious, deeply conscious, loving, knowing I amness that is all that is, and is both personal and transcendent and our closest ally and friend and source. Yes, that exists for sure. The, the source is the most real, uh, actually. <laughs> it's what we're all seeking, <laughs> you could say, actually. You know, we're always looking for, for the satisfaction somewhere. You know, we're, we're, we're missing something here. What, I don't feel good right now. What about now? What about now? What substance can I take? What, what food can I eat? What person can I pursue? What video game can I play? You know, whatever. We, we're always trying to like, eh, fill that hole. We never fill the hole. We're seeking source, God, <laughs> whatever word you want to use, the wholeness that is our true nature. The, I love the Rumi quote, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the mighty ocean in the drop. And that mighty ocean, the whole ocean, which vastly transcends us, and yet which towards we all are working towards and are a part of, that is very real. And, and I would call that God. But it's certainly beyond any language and any description. And in fact, it, it gives rise to all form and all description and all all names, all qualities arise from it. It's not like qualities precede it. <laughs> so it's really hard to try to put words on all that is, you know, you just, or source, you know, sources, it, it, it's just not nameable. You're doing a great job. Is there anything else you would like to share today about pre-birth memories? Uh, regarding pre-birth memories, I, I'll just reiterate, I don't think it's super important that we have memory or not, but I will reiterate that whoever you are listening today, you really are more than the human character. And whether you remember it or not, uh, you did exist before you were human. <laughs> you had some kind of pre-birth experience, whether or not you remember it. You, But that's not even that unusual because we have non-physical experiences every night when we sleep. We could just say we are each extra-dimensional beings. You know, that's what we are. We are beings that are multi-dimensional and powerful beings of life individuals of knowing and spirit and that is what we are and it's not strange then that we all have so many experiences in that context that transcend the human condition even though we don't remember it but while we're here please do be encouraged this life is an incredible opportunity 
And there's so much we can do every day. We don't have to live in fear and we don't have to take our story so seriously. This is just a play. <laughs> we can use it for fun. We can have fun. And as an individual, you have so much more power than you may be consciously aware of. Not just power in like the quality of your own life, power to help and heal the whole collective. We're all connected. We're all part of the collective consciousness of humanity. If you meet one fear, if you, if you like express love in a genuine way in one moment, you are helping to solution the entire world, to heal the entire world. And that is, that is a wonderful thing. And that's what we're here to do. Not, not so much, you know, the, the pre-birth stuff. We'll get back to that side. You know, we'll deal with that. We'll, we'll get, we'll have a much greater vantage point when we get back there. For now, here we are on earth. It's time to do our best to meet this experience fully with open eyes, open hearts and really see, you know, how can we, what can we do with this moment? And, uh, and that can be a wonderful process that's liberating, not one that's full of, you know, stress and, and difficulty. Beautiful. Christian, thank you so much for bringing so much love and joy to all of us. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you. And thank you, whoever you are, for being human. <laughs> go out and do something awesome today. You know, love someone next to you or just go have some fun. Um, let's, let's do it. I mean, this is, we're all in this together. Like everyone, I may not be able to see everybody that's, that's listening today, but we're all brothers and sisters, all of us. And we are in this together and we can do it. So, <laughs> so let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. 